creativity goes beyond a pencil and a paintbrush. Hello, creative people, and welcome to I Am Creative. My name is Hollis Citron, and we are so happy that you have chosen to spend your time with us. So what are we doing here? We are really diving into this word creativity and what it means. In all of the conversations that I have had, nobody has ever defined creativity as drawing or painting. People have defined creativity as your soul's essence, that magic spark, how you show up in the world. What my true mission is, is to really expand this definition and allow people to be able to see themselves in it. Because when people see themselves in this definition, when they've never been told that they fit inside of it, they stand up straighter. They feel like they have something to offer the world and basically are happier humans. So these conversations are structured on three questions. One, how do you define creativity? Two, how do you incorporate it into your life? And three, why do you think that it's important? So let's just dive right in. So my inspiring guest for today is Michael Davis. He helps businesses sell more, create efficient teams, and increase leadership influence through more effective speaking and communication. His passion for his work was born when he was humiliated in front of his first grade class. That kept him from voluntarily standing in front of groups of any size for the next 25 years, which is where this title came from humiliation in public speaking to professional speaker. So Michael, welcome to the space. Thank you, Hollis. I'm so happy that you're here. Never mind, I'm not a technology expert. That's not why you brought me on. <laughs> so there. Okay, it was going in and out, but I think we're going to be good. Good. So there. Okay. So before we jump in and learn more about you and all of this, um, would you be willing to please share a fun fact about yourself? Absolutely. Ever since I was 10 years old, my uh, when, I, when I was 10, my dad took me to the Indianapolis 500-mile race, and it was love at first sight and sound and feel for me. Mm -hmm. I've been a fan for well, 50 years now. I got an opportunity to drive a real IndyCar by myself at Whoa. both the Kentucky Speedway and the Mecca of Racing Indianapolis on that track that I had <gasps> been dreaming about for decades. What would it be like? And I got to drive a car, uh, comparatively speaking, slow for the professionals, but for me, pretty good, 157 miles an hour, but it was the thrill of a lifetime. Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's, we got to talk about this at least for a minute. So was there any guidance on this is what you do? I mean, we all know how to put our foot on the pedal, but was there any guidance on how to handle like that's those speeds? It's not fast for them, but it's fast for us. Yes, there was. There is an orientation they put you through, and it was fascinating because they give you the, the, the do's and don'ts. And they tell you, you've got to trust the car. And it it goes, it's more effective the faster you go. Well, you're hearing all this, but you get in the car and it's scary. I mean, it's really scary. And what was fascinating is when we first started going, probably going 100 miles an hour, which to us on the roads is pretty fast, but on that track, it's slow. And the car shakes and vibrates violently. Mm. And you're thinking, oh, my God. I'm doing something wrong. Right. <laughs> and what's great is they've got you got an ear earbuds and they're communicating with you all the time. There's somebody sitting in the grandstands watching you and he's there to tell you just trust the car, go faster. And you get through that that kind of that wall and you push that pedal down and the faster you go, the smoother it gets and it, it it's almost as if the car drives itself. Wow. But oh I, my I learned some life lessons from that. I was just going to say there are definitely some like life lesson, like analogies to life, like the, when the car shakes violently, all of that, that you got that message that you have to trust. That's, that's such a huge life lesson. Yeah. And the other one that I picked up from it, as I realized in retrospect, is that when I was first driving, I had my foot on the brake and the gas. Mm. Ooh, and once I took my foot off the brake and the gas, not only did I go faster, but the ride got smoother. And the life lesson I took from that was as we pursue our goals, 
we have our internal barriers, messages that hold us back. And if we keep that foot emotionally on the brake, we cannot succeed at a high level, no matter what we're trying to do. We've got to trust the process, get the foot off the brake and go. Oh my gosh, do you hear that everybody? That is amazing. That truly is. You must have felt like, well, I'm just going to say, how did you feel when you got out of that car? I can die now. (laughs) (laughs) I can I am complete. I'm whole. No, it was. It was the, like I said, the thrill of a lifetime. And it took me a a few weeks to get the lesson from having Mm -hmm. my foot on the brake and the gas. But I did feel differently afterwards. And I thought, well, that that was a fascinating experience, dream of a lifetime. But then the lesson started to settle in. And I started to look at my life and think, I have been living with my foot on the brake too long. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't long after that that I made the full commitment to come into the business I'm in now and leave my old career. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, those first five minutes were powerful. So here we go. Let's dive in and let's just keep it expanding and expanding. So the first official, official question is, um, how do you define creativity? Being willing to look outside of the normal day-to-day, outside of your experience, the safe and the comfortable, to look into the uncomfortable, the risky and the unsafe in order to make changes that you need. Hmm. So with that being said, I usually say to people, start where you want to start and let's kind of hear your journey like on how you got to this. but. Since I ended your intro with that story of being the 10-year-old standing in front of, or not 10-year-old, your first grade class, um, why don't we start there and then kind of take it wherever you want. I'd love to hear your journey from humiliation. Well, it, it did start there. I didn't realize it started there. I just went through that experience as a six year old where what happened was I broke a class rule one day during indoor recess. I was bored, jumped up on my desk, started entertaining my friends. I was a bit of a ham. Mm-hmm. We were having a ball. I mean, Hollis, I had the group laughing and we were dancing and singing and having a fun time until my teacher, Mrs. North, walked back in the room. Mm-hmm. She took one look at me and said, well, since you love standing on your desk so much, Michael, I'm going to let you do it during nap time so everyone can see you. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. A couple hours later, lights are off. You can hear the rain pelting the window and the steel roof above. Kind of chilly in the air because it's close to the holidays. And every kid in class has his or her head resting on their desk except me. I'm standing on top of my desk. Hmm. And at first I'm thinking, okay, this is no big deal. I can stand up here. But then I noticed my friends were starting to silently taunt me. Pointing, laughing, making faces. And the longer it went, the more I wanted to get down. I can remember thinking, oh my God, I just want to get down. Just please let me get down. I'll be good. I'll never be bad again. I just want to get down. She kept me up there for 40 minutes. And when it was time, she said, I hope you've learned your lesson. And I thought, I will never stand in front of people again. Mm-hmm. That was awful. All right, years go by. I don't think about it. But when I'm 31 years old, I'm a financial advisor. And part of my job is to give retirement planning workshops to attract new clients. Mm-hmm. I'm doing these. I don't know if I'm any good or not. I have this false sense of bravado. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm really good at that. Then one day my boss calls me into his office and we're going over the evaluations. And I won't recap all the evaluations, but we summed up the meeting like this. My boss looked at me and he said, and I'm quoting, you're a lousy speaker. Mm. Your stories suck. Fix mm. this in 90 days or else. And that, out of fear of losing my job, I went to, and I did a lot of calling around at the time and trying to figure out what am I going to do to save my job. 
a friend recommended this group called Toastmasters. Mm-hmm. And if you're, as a listener, if you're not familiar with Toastmasters, it's a global organization, nonprofit designed to help people become better speakers. I go there thinking, oh, I'll go a few weeks and save my job and go about my life. That was 29 years ago. I'm still a member. Mm-hmm. Because what they taught me in there, and eventually the National Speakers Association did also, was that Everybody is afraid of speaking. It's natural. Secondly, we've each had an embarrassing and humiliating experience. And number three, it's a learned skill. I always thought you were born a great speaker or you weren't. And if you weren't, well, tough luck for you. Not true. Right. That set me on a path and it took me years. And I'm still uncovering internal barriers and feelings and emotions even though i just turned 60 i'm still learning and those have impacted me as a speaker i'm pretty good on stage now but i will get better because i'm constantly uncovering and peeling back the layers of the onion say there's another emotion that's held you back yeah but that was the journey that set me down this path and somewhere along the way i determined you know i really love this i love speaking And I also love helping others. I know the fear, the panic, the pain of failing as a speaker. And I always hesitate to use this word because there's, there's, I use the word tragedy. There's human tragedy, which is much greater than what I would call business tragedy. But business tragedy, one of them is somebody who has a fabulous idea. It could make a difference in people's lives. And it never sees the light of day because people can't communicate. Hmm. or they communicate ineffectively. So lives, there are ideas that have never been shared that probably could have saved lives, but it might have made people's lives easier, could have helped strengthen families, communities, but they never got out into the marketplace because people didn't know how to effectively communicate. And that's what drives me now. I liked being a financial advisor. I love this. This is my calling. Mm Mm-hmm. So much to say in all that you said. Um, I want to kind of backtrack for a minute and just kind of acknowledge, I mean, God, her making that humiliation of her. It's so interesting. Teachers don't realize, and I being an art teacher for um, 30 plus years in school settings and non-traditional settings, but Teachers don't always realize the impact that they have on somebody at the moment. They think that they're doing something that is a lesson. What I'm trying to say basically is it affects your actions and your words affect people far beyond that actual moment. Oh, no and, doubt. And that moment of, of recognizing and seeing that you are this kind of a child that, you know, that is a performer that has this energy that's funny there are so many ways to handle things differently, (laughs) but obviously that being handled in that moment. So I guess my question in the immediate is schooling, moving on elementary, middle high school. How did you show up? Did you show, did you not show up as that comedian anymore? Were you more reserved? It's an excellent question, Holly. Yes. I I was not my real self. Mm -hmm. I noticed several years ago that my entire childhood, even in my early adulthood, I was always like the second best. I was always the straight man for the funny guy. Um, I was always the um, kind of the wingman uh (laughs) in any situation. Uh And I didn't realize until recently, I'm talking about the last few months I've had insights that I had this deep-seated insecurity. And that that experience was one of them. And there were some other early life experiences. And my father left when I was two. Okay. Now I'm not I don't remember that, but I do know I have a clear picture in my mind at age 60 that that had a tremendous impact on my self-esteem and self-worth. And I'm just now starting to uncover. Mm-hmm. And when I look back at the opportunities I did not take advantage of, the calls I didn't make, the people I didn't approach, and this goes to your question, absolutely, it held me back, but I had no idea what it was. It was an invisible wall 
Yeah. And just recently uncovering this, it's changed the way I behave in business and personally. I'm seeing my authentic self come out even more than ever. Mm -hmm. Awareness is a huge part of this issue. Yes. Yes. We go through we go through our lives of doing and especially as adults, it's it's this whole adulting thing. So well, Hollis, there's responsibilities and there's family or there's a mortgage or rent or animals or whatever there is. And we just are often within at least the American culture going, going, going. And um, this awareness gets kind of veiled often. Um, and it's just so beautiful what you're saying and bringing to the attention that even when you said, that with Toastmasters, like 20 some years later, you're still involved because you're constantly unpeeling the onion. Just because we do something and say, oh, okay, you can't be like, I'm healed. This is, a, it's a journey. It's a process. If you're willing to be aware and expand, right? Oh, absolutely. You have to be, and this is a kind of an overused word now, but you have to be emotionally vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was talking with a gentleman just about an hour ago, and he's 63 and I'm 60. And I, said, I asked him, I said, do you find that you're more open or you're more set in your ways at this age? He said, without hesitating, he said, I'm more open. I said, me too. <laughs> when I was younger, I would hear about people who are old or set in their ways. I find it's the opposite. I'm becoming more open-minded. And I think part of it is because I'm having these internal realizations that this is this is what happened to me, and I let it define me for too long. One of the most important lessons I ever learned in speaking, Hollis, is actually a life lesson. Mm -hmm. It's from a gentleman who is a mentor of mine. He's a Hollywood scriptwriting consultant. He talks about in the best stories, we see characters transform. And they transform from being stuck in their identity to uncovering their essence. Oh, that's nice. Now, my essence is someone who loves to make people laugh, entertain, educate, all at the same time. But I hid that because my identity was shaped by experiences I had no control over. Mm. Father leaving when I was two. That sends a message, I think, to any, and there are a lot of kids who've gone through this. You're not worth staying around for. Mm -hmm. So that sends the message. Oh, you're not worth much. Mm -hmm. Now that gets internalized. You don't understand what it is till much later in life, but your actions, you don't take the risk you could. You don't go uh, approach that attractive person because the, in the bottom of, in the back of your mind at a subconscious level, you're not worth it. Right. <laughs> right. So my essence was, I am worth it. I am valuable. I'm funny. I'm entertaining. I'm, I'm, People are better off knowing me than not knowing me. But the identity was, oh, I'm not worth it. People don't, I won't be missed. So much power in all of that because your true essence, everybody, is in you. I mean, that's part of you. It's innately part of you. And then it's this veil, again, I'm using this word again in the conversation, that you get covered. There's like layers and layers and layers because there's identity that happens from life. So as you peel away and you get to your true essence, then you are, you're authentic, you're you. Yes. And how much freedom is there in that? And I, something that's popping into my mind too is, and does this play a role also being a man and being a man and being maybe not taught to show your emotion and be vulnerable? Yes, I believe so. I see it changing to some extent, but there's still a culture that says, at least in America, because I know, for example, in a lot of the Middle Eastern culture, men are very expressive. Mm -hmm. So Europe, too, um, except German, which I'm half German, so I can say that. Be tough, uh, you know, do it on your own, and all these messages that are, pardon the language, it's crap. <laughs> it's it not true. Nobody succeeds by themselves. We're these emotional creatures. The more we keep them suppressed, the sicker we get, either mentally or physically sicker. 
Right. You've got to let these emotions out, acknowledge them and say, it's not who I am. My emotions are not me. Right. I'm right. just experiencing humanity here. And these experiences that held me back for years because of the messages they gave, I'm starting to let go of and say, all right, that, and I do believe when we're young and more vulnerable than at any time in our lives, those messages serve to protect us. They had a purpose. Yes. Problem is, we didn't have an owner's manual that said, you know what? That's the, that message is the old model. We got to let that one go. Right, like, right. There are new messages because you've got so much. You, this is the essence of who you are. You're valuable. This is what you're going to do for the world. Now go do it. Mm-hmm. it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Whew. So this is, so when I define creativity, I say one of the many definitions is creativity is life. It's, it's how we show up in the world. It's all of the moments because none of them existed before. So we are creating, every moment is a creation and we're using our imagination. We're, we're maybe seeing things that are, are going to happen, um, that we want to happen, that we want to create the foods that we eat, how we show up, um, how we dress, how our hair looks, how the conversations that we have, how we parent, like literally all of these are creative expression. It's all, it's all a creativity. And from you going through this journey and going from financial advisor, then to Toastmasters. So if I'm seeing this timeline, you went to Toastmasters, you're really passionate about it. You see the, you realize your speaking skills. So how does that lead into what you're doing now? Well, Toastmasters led me to several individuals who were highly successful professionals, which led me to the National Speakers Association, which helped me take off in a new way. And around 2011, I started a company part-time. I mean, part-time with a small P and a small T. And it was like Mm -hmm. two hours a weekend. Mm -hmm. But I knew I had to start there. And then I put a plan in place. All right, I'm going to eventually leave financial planning it'll probably be a three-year plan and i'll do speaking training coaching and writing full-time and the two-year plan or three-year plan became a seven-year plan (laughs) 2018 i made the decision i've got to either get in this full-time or or forget it Mm -hmm. time's starting to i was 55 at the time i said i need to really do this because i'm not going to be this healthy forever and it was that decision, and I, I know there's an old term called burn the boats. Every license I had, every for selling insurance and stocks, bonds, mutual funds, I let them all expire because I did not want a lifeboat. Mm, oh, wow. Because if I knew if I had that lifeboat, I would never go all in on this business. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I did, and it was scary, and I did it, and two years later, a pandemic hits the world mm-hmm. <laughs> to adjust. Now, I was fortunate in one sense with the pandemic. I had been training and coaching and presenting virtually for three years at that point. Okay. I knew the world was going to flip out because I had to look at cameras all day. I knew how to do that. Okay that played into what my, my business strength was. So that, that was being opportunistic in the sense that I have something that will help. Mm-hmm. Not paying attention to all those internal messages that says, yeah, you're not good enough and all that. I ignored those for a while. And I went out and helped people and I served because that's part of my essence. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's that, you know, they say, I think it was Will Smith was the first time I heard it. I'm sure it was said many, many times, but don't have a plan B. Yes, I've heard that many times. Yes. And you, you did that by letting all of the other things expire and be like, okay, this is, I'm all in. I'm truly in. And it was not easy. Uh, I had obligations and I thought, well. I can do this now. 
in the back of, I still had those messages at a subconscious level. So I, I was able to do it, but not at the level that I look back now and think I could have done much better, but that's fine because I am where I am today. And this is one of the most important lessons I've learned, Hollis, is don't spend too much time agonizing over the past because you can't change it. What can I learn from it? Yeah. And with recent revelations of messages and experiences I've had that helped me back, okay, what am I going to do with those? I'm not going to yeah. wallow in this and say, oh, poor me. That's not what it's about. It's like, okay, now I'm aware of it. How do I use it as a benefit? Yeah. There's that word aware again. It really is. It's, it's having the awareness and we all have those voices in our head and we all have all of that kind of stuff. And lately in my world, it's really, it, it's been something that's presenting and been an awareness in my world. But then what's interesting is the people that I've been um, helping to create books and put into the world is also um, all about that. It's all about the awareness and it's all about in a positive way. It's not all rainbows and butterflies, but it's putting out into the world that, yeah, stuff happens, but how are you going to move forward and how are you going to take the lessons and how, you know, how are you going to, you know, just be authentic and all of these, it's just been amazing. One of the children's books that's about to come out is all about that. And, and really teaching kids about emotions. And what I love is, is she said, the character is like, you know, you're not my friend, that horrible voice inside your head, you know, and you wouldn't be friends with that person, but it's written in the book, you know, say out loud, you're not my friend and move on. It's yeah. not a nice voice. No, it's not. Oh, I've believed for years. I used to teach this to my son when he was little. I said, there is nobody in this world who will ever be as mean to you as you are to yourself. Yeah. If Truth. somebody said to you the words that you say to yourself when you're down. Right. You probably want to beat them up. It's like, <laughs> how dare you? But you do it every, I mean, we all human beings do it at some point, some much worse than others. I've done it to myself over time. And it's like, no, no, that is born out of experiences and thoughts that I didn't put in there. Mm -hmm. So don't buy into that. It's a false narrative. And it makes me also think that one of the, issues I have. And I love being an American. By the way, I chose to be. I was an immigrant when I was a baby. Mm. I chose to get naturalized. I'm proud to be American. There are some aspects about America that I don't like. And one is this attitude of success or failure. Did you say success or failure? Mm -hmm. Yeah, or failure. I don't believe in the concept of failure anymore, unless you take a quote unquote failure and make it permanent by not getting back up and trying again. You know, Edison is in, in the speaking world is often overused as an example of this, but he never looked at a failed experiment and said, well, it's not going to work. Right. He just said, I just discovered a way that doesn't work. Now let's right. go find, let's try again. Right. And love that. And I'm constantly telling people that I'm working with speakers because so many people, Hollis, and you've probably seen this, maybe with your guests, is, well, I got to be perfect. Well, first of all, nobody wants perfect. Right. As, as an audience member, I want to know you're like me. Well, I am way imperfect. Right. <laughs> I don't want you being that way. So let's get rid of that mindset and go up and be real. Yeah. You don't fail when you speak. Hmm. I've never seen a speaker fail. I've seen speakers who are ineffective and bore their audiences to tears, but that isn't necessarily a failure if you walk away from that and say, okay, I could have done better. Right. <laughs> I didn't connect with that audience. Let's figure out what my part was in that so I can make it better. That is, we, it's a very mature thing. Yeah, sorry. It is. No, and we, if we, We'll get away from this. Oh, I failed. I'm terrible. <laughs> Your life will be a lot easier to deal with. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, there's, I mean, it, it's when you said that statement, I'm like, yes, I, I love that word ineffective. But then I'm thinking, okay, if I were up on a stage and the audience I could see was bored to tears, like there was like a really light clap or no clap when you're done or whatever that is, it hurts like because you're vulnerable and there is a humiliation in that that you could feel. I mean, being yeah. real, but yeah. Yes. So how do you respond to that? Well, yes. you make me think when you what you just said made me realize it's when you feel like you've just been vulnerable by being on stage. But the reality is, if you had truly been vulnerable with your story, you would have impacted them. Uh, oh, yes. That is true. The people who have the most impact get up there and share yes. a part of their journey, which wasn't fun. Yes. It was tough. Because the purpose of storytelling is to elicit emotion. Yes. The way we elicit emotion is we show transformation, either in our lives or some other character, who was struggling, down, didn't know how to overcome the problem, but through the help of others, we call that character character in a story the guide the guide provides wisdom a new way of looking at life inspires the main character to try something new mm. and because of that they eventually succeeded overcame the problem that's that story format has worked for thousands of years yeah in our oldest fables stories books movies tv programs tiktok videos yeah. That format is what draws people in. Yeah. Yes, it's the humanness. It's the, that is such a beautiful way of saying it. Because if you're not vulnerable and sharing, that's, people crave connection, right? Like yes. they, cra they crave, they want human connection and they want to, even if they're not saying it and somebody else says it and they could be like, oh my gosh, I've never said that out loud. Or I can completely relate to that. Or I remember, um, there's multiple occasions, but uh, public speaking was, I would turn purple at the drop of a hat. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like a pretty embarrassed, like pink or like, oh, your cheeks are so rosy. It was purple and blotchy and like, get me the hell out of here kind of thing. Because <laughs> do we need to get you to a hospital? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, like on my chest and my face and people would be like, do you know your face is like, and I'd be like, do you think I don't know my face is doing that? I mean, <laughs> I, I want to become invisible. So, um, so there are many stories attached to that. But one thing that uh, came to mind was, so for my bat mitzvah, I am walking up to the bima and I, <laughs> I tripped on the step going up. And it wasn't like, I laugh, it wasn't like a little trip. Like, oh, that was sweet. It was like a big oopsie daisy, like, on my face kind of thing. And Is this one of those by the end of the day you're on YouTube and Twitter and Instagram? If they had that at that time. This is before all that, gratefully. Good. <laughs> um, but I just got up and I started laughing. And I just laughed. And I have no concept of time. I have no idea how long that went on for. Um, and then afterwards, I just kind of went in and did what I needed to do. And then as I was walking around afterwards, went to the rabbis shaking hands and they said, that was a great icebreaker. <laughs> I was like, that so was not planned. <laughs> <laughs> How long ago was that, if I may ask? I mean, I was 13 and now I'm 56. So do the math. Okay. Yeah. Here's yeah. a question for you. Now, this yeah. is a question that, that helped me understand my first grade desk incident. Mm -hmm. If you were to go back, if it was possible to go back to all the people that were in the room that day at your bat mitzvah and you fell, how many do you think would even remember what happened? Yeah, I don't know, because I only know it from my story, from my perspective. Yes. Yeah. Well, my coach asked me at the time, he said, how many people do you think remembered you standing on that desk? And my knee-jerk reaction was probably not many, if any. And he said, how many people do you think even remember you in first grade? Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, wow. That I get hurts. the point. I get mm -hmm. the point. Mm -hmm. I've been carrying an incident that nobody else remembers. Yes. Well, that's often what we do, right? 
Yes. We think it's it's all about, oh my gosh, I've embarrassed myself. I look so stupid out there. Yeah. yeah. And it reminds me when my son Brendan was young, he used to get all uptight at school because people were thinking all this of him. And I said, you know what, Brendan? I wouldn't worry so much about that. Do you know why? He mm-hmm. said, why, Dad? I said, because they're too busy worrying about what you think about them mm-hmm. to be worried about you. And I think that is part of the human condition. We get so embarrassed. And, and I just put a post up this week about this. The fear of speaking is not, we are not afraid of public speaking. That's not the fear. Okay. The fear that we experience is the fear of public humiliation. Yeah. That is a natural fear. And it goes all the way back to our earliest ancestors. Because if you were embarrassed, humiliated, or ostracized from the group, yeah. it usually meant death. Yeah. So that's ingrained in us. The other one is being in front of a room full of strangers. Why? Because our earliest ancestors, when they met strangers, there was potential death or they would take your food, your land, your fully tricked out cave, whatever, wherever you lived, mm-hmm. that you were at risk of losing all that because every stranger was a potential threat. So that's in us as human beings. It's been passed down for thousands of years. Now, what is public speaking? It's the potential for being humiliated or embarrassed in front of a group of strangers. Mm. Now, what we have, we can't get rid of that, by the way. That's in us. But what we can do is recognize the fear and stop for a moment and say, now look, these people in front of me, yeah, they're strangers. Uh, They're probably not going to try to come take my house, my family, my goods. And secondly, they look like they're pretty well fed. They just ate. They're not going to attack me. (laughs) I think we're good. (laughs) Help us reframe it and say, what's the worst thing that can happen here? Yeah. I'm going to be forgettable. I mean, that truly is about the worst Mm -hmm. outcome that you can get from giving a speech. Nobody's going to remember you afterwards. All right. You didn't die. Right. Nobody took it. Nobody. I've done the research on this. Nobody has died from giving a speech. Some people have died while giving a speech. Typically, political leaders. Right? <laughs> but that's not the speech's fault. <laughs> it's and, and public speaking and the misconceptions about are just. It's a great metaphor for life. So often we have this belief about an experience we've had and think, oh, that defines who I am. No, it's just one thing that happened. We, we ha- and it's easy for you and me on a podcast to say, let it go. No, it's not that simple. Right. But start to reframe it. That's, that's really what, when I was, um, because of the blushing and all of this, and I found myself in positions where I was teaching and I was presenting and I was doing professional developments and I was kind of like, Oh my gosh, okay. I'm stepping into this role. And I got to a point where I was like, this is not going to overtake me anymore. This is not going to be the leader and silence me. So I'd make a joke about it. So when I, when I would introduce myself and what we're doing and da da da, I'd say, look, I just need to, I just need to mention if my face starts turning multiple colors, I'm not going to pass out. I'm not going to die. It's just what it does. And people laugh and then we move on. So that's awesome. That was my coping mechanism where, and then eventually it got to a point where that wasn't happening um, because that wasn't the focus in my brain. And I was feeling more confident in myself and not being so caught up in making mistakes or or whatever it was. But that that's kind of in the beginning how I started to deal with that. Kind of this, well, uh, that's brilliant. And I'll tell you why. Because there's always an elephant in the room. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's yes. within us. Get yes. it out of the way. Yeah. You handled that beautifully. Oh, look, let me tell you what's about to happen. <laughs> I'm going to turn purple. And it's not because I'm a huge fan of Prince. <laughs> Love his music, but I'm not that committed. <laughs> if it happens, 
Keep the phones away. 911. Don't need it. But I, I could use some ice cream. <laughs> you handle that great. Get it out of the way. People laughed. And laughter is important because on the other end of laughter is learning. Mm. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's really um, a huge lesson in this awareness of this journey. So let's learn a little bit more about, we know that you're a speaker and we know that you have an affinity for driving cars. Um, yes. How else do you incorporate creativity into your, into your life? In the way I coach and, and train individuals is to not commit. I, I have a framework that I work from, but it's, I keep the framework in the background and being creative with the people I work with. You know, I give you a perfect example today. I'm talking with a client, John, and he's telling this story about how when he was a kid, now he ended up going to major college football program, great athlete. But when he was a kid, he was 30 pounds overweight. And in his physical education class, they would give t-shirts to kids based on their skill level. And he was in the white T-shirt group, which was the worst of the worst. Oh, my God. I hate when people do stuff like this. Oh, I know. Gosh. And there was a yellow shirt group. So we're talking about this. And I suggested to him that he, instead of saying, because what he does, he has fun with the audience. He says, well, what group do you think I was in? Remember, I was a major college football player. And they'll say gold. And he said, no, I'm in the white T-shirt group. Mm -hmm. I said, instead of doing that, you just need to hold up a white T-shirt. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. say, oh, later in the story, his goal became to win the gold shirt. He wanted to be in the gold shirt group to show that he was in shape. Mm -hmm. And then he said something jokingly about giving out T-shirts. And I said, John, that's your brand. Yes. Because part of the story was some of the one of the kids in the gold group had called him and the other kids in the white group a bunch of cream puffs wow so i told him here's your branding yes. you create a bunch of t-shirts with your logo or your client's logo that says don't be a cream puff and then come up with some gold ones that say be this not to put people in slots but to have that mindset Mm -hmm. Don't have the cream puff mindset. Don't give up or whatever it is he's working on. Yeah. So that was a moment of creativity that came out of you can just tell people something or you can demonstrate it, have them experience it. Yes. You know, yes. So, you know, so much of speaking and presenting is about so many people, they just stand up and give facts. It's like, why didn't you put this on a PDF? Mm -hmm. I can read that. I want your experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, I use this all the time. I'm giving a presentation next month where I'm going to teach people how to open a presentation. Okay. What do you think one of the biggest fears of speakers is other than I'm standing in front of people? What do you, what do you think are some of the big fears they have? Forgetting what they're going to say. Exactly. That's the one I'm looking for right off the bat. And by the way, if you're listening, we did not pre-plan that. <laughs> yes. no, just, right. So I could come out and say, um, if you forget your speech at the beginning, uh, well, 78% of people do, and here's what they do. No, that's just giving facts. What I'm going to do is I'm going to walk out and I'm going to act like I just forgot my speech. Mm. I'm going to go for like 15 to 30 seconds. Yeah. And I'm going to really, they're going to think I forgot my speech. And then I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, um, question. What just happened here? Of course, they're going to say, well, you forgot your speech. Great. Now, raise your hand if at any point you thought, oh, my gosh, this guy is a loser. This was a waste of time. What an idiot. Is he a moron? And I want to know if anybody thinks that. They don't. No, they, they sympathize, don't they? That's exactly it. So I'm going to ask them, first of all, look around the room. Nobody's got their hand up. Yeah. What did you feel? And they say, sympathy, empathy, felt sorry for you. Great. Guess what? There's nothing special about me in forgetting my speech. If you forget your speech, your audience is going to think the exact same way. Yeah. Now, what have I done? I think I'm kind of happy with this opening because I think it's a more creative way to create an experience for the audience. Yeah. 
where they can feel what it feels like to feel empathy for somebody who's having a bad time on stage. Yeah. Versus coming out and say, if you forget your speech, don't worry about it. You'll right. be fine. The audience is there. No, that's, that's words. I want that experience. And that's how we can be more creative, not just in presentations, but in leadership. How can you make your team feel the implication of doing something well or making mistakes without humiliating them? Don't put them on a desk in first grade. Don't do that. That no, no, don't not, do that. That is not the point. That's, don't put them in a cream puffed white t-shirt. Oh my gosh, you just created. See, it's those moments though, right? That that you're having a conversation, you're riffing, you're just brainstorming, you're just talking. And like gold shirts are his brand. Like, yes, because you want to have a gold shirt because that's what he wanted. So people wouldn't know that unless they heard his story. It would just be like, oh, that's a gold story. That's a gold shirt. But once they hear the story, then it has so much more meaning. And then they can tell that story. That was the point that, that he and I discussed. They said, John, six months or a year from now, they're going to see the gold shirt. They're not going to remember 99% of the story, but they're going to remember the point. Yeah, they'll remember that point. Because you reach, you reach there you, because you it's the feeling. People... People are feeling it. Like you said, it's it's presenting where you're you're really role playing and demonstrating. And that's the only way people really learn is by going through it. Even yes. books, even book smart people that are just like, okay, they study, 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 do well on a test, but actually in real life, I truly it's you have to go through the experience. You can't you can't sympathize with someone who's lost a person unless you've lost a person. And it's going to look, it's going to look different in what that is, um, because maybe you were close to that person or not. I mean, there's many different variations of it, but you can't, you can't empathize fully unless you're, unless you've had some kind of experience with it. That's an excellent point. And this is where storytelling can help people create that emotion. You can take people through experiences they haven't had and give, give them hope. Ultimately, yes, the purpose of stories to elicit emotion. How do we do that through transformation of character? But the ultimate purpose of a story in business is to give people hope. Yeah. People who are going through the exact same struggle that your main character was going through and got over, then they want that too. Mm-hmm. If, if you're old enough to remember this, if you're listening to this, it's what I call the when Harry met Sally moments. <laughs> I was just watching that again the other day. Yeah. I'll have what she's having. <laughs> right. <laughs> Classic moment. And if you're not familiar with that movie, just go watch it and look for that clip, clip on YouTube. It's perfect. But it's, it's giving people that desire. I want the same outcome that that main character had because that's what I want. Yeah. And I don't know how to get there. So before we get to the last question, because it's crazy, we're already almost at the top of the hour. Um, do you have, I'm going to start with this one. Do you have any kind of a morning routine? Absolutely. And this is part of what happens when you get older. You've got to accept, I got to change my routine and take care of my body. I've always exercised, but first thing in the morning is I take care of our two princesses, our two chihuahuas who run the house. Okay. Sure they're fed and they go to the bathroom and then they go back to sleep because God knows I don't want to stress them out and make them work hard. <laughs> right. <laughs> then I come down and I do 30 minutes of yoga and 30 minutes of some type of exercise mm-hmm. without fail. And that's not just because I want to be in shape. It's because physically my body can't take it if I don't do that. I invariable aches and pains of living six decades Mm -hmm. that also gets gets my mind going i'm a morning person okay it gets me in a really good frame of mind and then i start looking at what's going on for the day ahead planning it out and i go have breakfast and then i hit the day do you have any kind of a evening routine or no yeah, I'm not a big TV person per se, but my partner, she and I will sit down and we'll watch one program together. It's it's a way for us to both unwind. We both do mentally taxing work mm-hmm. and we both kind of like our peace and quiet. We each grab a dog, 
the dog to make sure and it's their rule they say we got to be on your laps all right (laughs) it's a way for us to connect we chat talk about the day watch a program and then unwind and go to bed yeah i have to say about the whole dog thing we i was never a dog owner until more Mm -hmm. recently we're watching a friend's dog and it's been about four months and she really is we have cats so there's a there's a big difference between dogs and cats our cats are very Mm -hmm. loving they love to be in the same space as us they love to be near us they follow us around they're very dog-like in that way but this dog really is she cracks me up because she is just she will find that crevice and just get right in there you put a blanket on and she's like thank you (laughs) (laughs) jumps right up and is just like out and then you're sweating to death and you're like oh my god get this blanket off of me and even when you move her, she's like, okay, I can get comfortable again. It's okay. Oh, it's, you know, it's their world. <laughs> it's, uh, and I was never a small dog guy at all. And then one day I was informed, we're getting a chihuahua. Okay. <laughs> we have a chihuahua. And then I was, and, well, I want a smaller chihuahua. All right. I guess we're having a second. And I, I love them both dearly. There's, they, they are pretty amazing. So. Yes. Okay, so yeah, I always love hearing about how people start their day and um, that the ending, the starting. So basically, you do an hour's worth of some kind of exercise before you yes. get moving. Yeah. And so, I also listen to my podcast, so I'm, whatever I'm getting into that day. It's, uh, I'm an auditory person, so I like to have something in my ear. Yeah, yeah, I get that too. I'm like that when I'm, um, as I'm, uh, in the shower and getting out and getting ready, I have I have a podcast or some or YouTube on or something um, to inspire to get the day started. Yes. So the last and final question may sound a little repetitive, but it kind of closes everything up, which is why do you think creativity is important? Because no, it actually is an excellent question to wrap this up because. Creativity has been essential since the first human being started walking. And then one day decided, you know what? I'm tired of being cold. (laughs) Right. I've got to do something here. And I know these fires keep coming up. We've got to do something about this and capture (laughs) this. Great. All right. Now we got the fire thing going. I really want to transport to that next town, but I'm tired of walking. We need a wheel. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I'm being a little bit flip it with this but that that's it every major change in human history had to come from that creativity yeah and say how can we do this better and different (laughs) it doesn't mean it's going to be easy right you know i work with people on their stories one of the biggest challenges i see in stories is people say well i was struggling struggling got this great idea and then life got better no that's not how it happened yeah. Because at the time we start something new, we don't know our lives are going to be better. It's just an idea. Mm-hmm. It may make life worse. <laughs> and we have to be willing to take the risk. That's why risk and creativity have to go hand in hand. You can be as creative as possible, but if you do nothing with it, if you don't take the risk, it doesn't matter. Yes. And every change societal evolution technological evolution it involves a combination of creativity and risk Mm. but that's how we make life better look at how many more people are eating as opposed to a hundred years ago on this planet granted there's still people out there who, who are still struggling and to eat but we have a lot fewer in that situation than we did a hundred years ago because people got creative with how they farmed the lands and, and crops and all that. And that will help us continually get better as a species. This always, you inspire. I, I am so appreciative and grateful when people come into the space and share your stories and your perspectives. Because ladies and gentlemen, do you hear this? Like this word creativity, it's like I say in the opening, creativity is not cute. It's necessary. What you just said is everything. Like I want people to understand 
that creativity is within every essence of who they are and who we are as a society. And it is the way that we grow and the way that we get better and the way it's just the way. Well, that's so true, Hollis. And I just love the whole premise of what you're doing. I, I, I hate it when I hear somebody say, I'm not creative. Yes, you are. You're a human being. Yes. As a baby, if you didn't have, if you don't have any physical problems, you were born with, that's the difference. But as a baby, you had to get creative. How do I go get Mr. Slinky? Mm -hmm. There's nobody in the room. I got to get that toy. <laughs> so mm -hmm. how did you do it? You got creative. You started moving your body in a new way and you figured it out. And then when crawling wasn't getting it done, you started walking or running as our granddaughter is doing. She's going straight from sitting to running. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you are creative. The problem is just like as I was sharing my story early on about all these messages that defeated my self-worth and put me, created this negative self-worth and I don't think I'm as valuable as others. I got weighed down by a layer of messages. Yes. That's what happens with our creativity. And how yeah. does it happen? As children are told, stop asking questions. That's, yeah. the, that's the root of creativity. Yes. But we constantly tell, be quiet. Stop asking so many questions. Yeah. I get it. I was the father of a two-year-old and a three-year-old and a four-year-old. They went through all the ages. And it does get frustrating, but that's such a damaging statement to make to a child. So you're creative. You just got to reconnect with the two and three and four year old who kept asking why. Yes. Oh my God. I want to um, acknowledge the people that are here with us live. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate you. Um, Absolutely. Michael, so powerful. Okay. So can you please tell people how they can connect with you? Yes. Feel free to visit my website, which is speakingcpr.com, or you can send me an email at mike at speakingcpr.com. I'm happy to answer any questions you have and share some resources with you. Before we say our goodbyes, is there anything else that you feel like you forgot to say that you want to add? Anything? You know, it's just the, the premise of your podcast is so inspiring. Oh, thank uh, you. Keep listening to Hollis's podcast because, and look, I've been on I don't know, 60, 70, I've, I've lost count. You're an excellent host because oh, you don't just say, I got three questions, let's get them out of the way. <laughs> I mm -hmm. noticed how you, you took, we took the one question and I thought, wow, I've really been going a while. She probably wants to get to her third question. But mm -hmm. you, you let the conversation flow, which is a sign of an excellent host. You're, you're doing such a good service by pulling answers out of people that are helping your audience. I know they are. Yeah, I saw the hearts go by. Oh, thank you. So keep up the good work. I know it's not easy. Podcasting is not as easy as you make it sound. Oh, well, thank you. I really appreciate that. It, it really is. It, it, it's, I think it all stems from when we're passionate about what we do. I have always been passionate about um, having people be able to express themselves in safe place and feel safe. So that is, and that's what everything is, is a conversation. We need to have the conversations. This is what this space is. And I'm so grateful to you, Michael. Thank you so much for being here because this is, these are starts. It's just a start. This is just an hour. And I'm so grateful to those. I know you could be doing anything with your hour. And we so appreciate you taking the time to listen. Um, but everything starts with a conversation. And this is why you need to connect with Michael. And this is why you can reach out. And if you want to be in a book, um, this is something that I do. I am creative publishing. If you want to be on the podcast, if you need help unleashing and undoing these layers to find your creativity, I would love to chat with you. So wherever you are in the world, I wish you a good morning, a good afternoon, and a good evening. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. So thanks again. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Hollis. Bye. Bye. I believe these conversations have always been important, but now I think that they are more important than ever. Please like, follow, share, 
spread the goodness because people really need to hear these messages in order to be able to see themselves in them in order to be able to hear these people's stories in order to be able to expand their thinking it is so important to really understand that creativity is life and everybody has creativity within them to find out more about what we offer go to iamcreativephilly.com and you will see that there are services from publishing multi-author and solo books kits workshops and retreats to creativity one-on-one coaching so if you are ready to unleash your voice break through your blocks and confidently share your story i cannot wait to help you birth your ideas into the world